welcome to the ID Talk podcast. I'm your host, Peter Counter, Editor-in-Chief at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, and I'm pleased to bring you this latest episode. September is Government Biometrics Month at Fine Biometrics, in which our featured articles and news coverage is focusing on law enforcement, border control, refugee identity, civil ID, and more. That's why this episode of ID Talk is all about government applications of biometrics. My guest today is David Benini, Vice President of Marketing and Product at AWARE. Our conversation starts with the broader topics of government applications and how AWARE is serving the government-adjacent vertical markets before we take a deep dive into the company's ABIS solution at the heart of many of its government initiatives. Specifically, we talk about an innovative concept AWARE is forwarding, the Open ABIS. We move on to talk about AWARE's recent exhibition at ID for Africa this summer, and some major trends happening in the region, delving deep into the ethics and mechanisms behind the concern over vendor lock-in. Our conversation ends with a preview of what's next for AWARE in the government space. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with AWARE's David Benini. I'm joined by David Benini, Vice President of Marketing and Product at AWARE. David, thank you for joining me again on the ID Talk podcast. Good afternoon, Peter. It's great to be here as always. Uh, happy to talk to you today. Uh, feeling is mutual. Um, this podcast is part of Government Biometrics Month at Fine Biometrics. Uh, and Government Biometrics is an umbrella covering a wide range of vertical markets. What are the primary government applications that AWARE is supporting and what kinds of solutions are you providing? Uh, sure. So so clearly the government is a, is a really big consumer of, of biometric technology. And traditionally, law enforcement has been uh, the largest one or the one people think about for criminal investigations and whatnot. But more recently, in the last few decades, we've seen border management, uh, defense become also really important applications. One of the things that we're involved in is a human resources application where we're doing vetting of new employees. And then finally, access control, using biometrics to control access to physical assets, uh, digital assets. Uh, So AWARE has been providing software for government applications like these since the early 90s or so. Originally, this was for primarily law enforcement applications, but it really was, was around the building, enabling the various agencies to share biometric data. Uh, So that includes uh, formatting of data and exchanging biometric data, for example, between different departments like the FBI and, and, and state police agencies. More recently, we're seeing products uh, like our BioSP, which is a biometric services platform being used for integration of of what we can call cross-jurisdictional biometric systems. So these might be different departments within an agency, different agencies within a government, or even sharing of data or services between uh, international bodies. So for example, uh, Agency X, wants to search the fingerprint database of agency Y. Another category we get into is is biometric enrollment. So for example, we have a product called WebEnroll. This is a browser-based collection of biometric data, 10 prints, facial images, iris images, biographic data. WebEnroll allows you to capture all that kind of data within a, a browser and send it to a central location and manage that data. And then another category that adds yet another 
few levels of, of functionality is our ABIS. We call that Aware ABIS. And this brings together all the different kinds of capabilities that ABIS are known for. This is where we get into fingerprint, face, iris, enrollment, and search, including latents, latent fingerprints that you find at a crime scene, for example, all the different workflows that are involved there, such as searching latents against 10 prints or 10 prints against latents. And then finally, examiner workstation applications where a professional biometric examiner would sit down and do uh, analysis of some of, the, some of the data that is coming back from a search or performing a search and enhancing that function. Now, just as the government umbrella, government biometrics umbrella covers a lot of different vertical markets, et cetera, and uh, you have quite a few products for it, uh, it is also kind of spans the globe. Everybody's got a government. All governments are kind of turning to biometrics right now. What kind of projects are going on out there for government biometrics around the world? Well, yeah, if you read the uh, if if you read your website, for example, or or watch the news, uh, you'll see a lot of things that are going on that are just showing us different ways that biometrics are deploying. I think border security is an interesting one. And what we're seeing recently is the acceptance of the technology by airlines to use facial recognition and other technologies to facilitate the, the efficiency of passengers going through an airport, basically. So a lot of times you see the photos and the data from a passport being used to process uh, airplane passengers. They might be visiting kiosks, for example, and it's all essentially intended to reduce the friction uh, of airport travel. It also has the benefit of creating less or saving some work for CBP in the process of, of uh, handling new visitors or, or people coming from overseas. So we're seeing it in uh, airports all the time now is automated kiosks that allow us to pass through the border more uh, in a more automated fashion. And some other areas are interesting. So um, OBIM, which is, uh, is essentially a biometric group as part of CBP, is uh, running IDENT. Um, and they're using a product of ours called Face Workbench. It's this facial examination product that is being used to analyze results of facial image searches. Human resources is, is one that, um, that we also get involved with. We see that the DOD is using, using biometrics to do vetting of new employees. So whenever a, somebody applies for a job at the DOD, they submit biometric data and that data is handled and used for for background search to to make sure that they're representing themselves and their identity accurately. And we are seeing the market move move increasingly towards web-based solutions, primarily because it's just much easier to maintain and support a, an application that's running from a browser as opposed to a, say, a Windows application. We're involved in a lot of tech refreshes. One area that's particularly interesting there is mobile handhelds. So the DOD also uses mobile handhelds a lot, such as the Navy or the Marines or the Army use a device that allows them, allows a personnel in the field to collect biometric data, fingerprint, face, and iris, and capture that and use it for, for search. We're also seeing activity around PIV and CAC cards. These are the identity cards that uh, government personnel and contractors have for, they're traditionally used for physical access. So we're seeing some, some ways that that sort of 
application can be enhanced with biometrics. Another one is parolee and probation or accountability. That's one that's a little bit more on the state and local side. That's where you're basically using biometrics to allow a parolee or a probationer to check in in a way that can be verified. In the states in particular, we do see uh, some bipartisan concern on Capitol Hill around facial recognition. And I think generally here we see that legislation is just, just behind the technology a bit, as we've seen with other technologies. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that will that will continue to evolve. Overseas, we also see quite a bit of activity. One case is in Latin America. We see driver's license enrollment uh, using biometric technology. In Europe, we're involved in a a system deployment that is being used to integrate lots of different law enforcement biometric systems and allow them all to communicate with one another. So there's an awful lot going on any given quarter of the year. we We can see lots of interesting projects beginning, starting, and, and finishing. So that's um, it's, it's definitely an interesting time in the market. A key component to your government project is the AWARE ABIS. Uh, what can you tell me about that specific solution? Uh, well, we introduced that this year. Uh, one of the differentiating features of that is that it's leveraging this biometric services platform product, which is very mature and, and has a lot of really powerful capabilities really it allows you to do a lot in terms of workflow and integration uh, with other systems and that that's one really important differentiating feature of it it also offers a degree of matcher independence that you don't necessarily find in in other solutions where uh, you are able to utilize matching technology from not just aware but from other other suppliers so i think that is a, a differentiator as well Uh, We're also making available these face workbench and fingerprint workbench products that are are modern and pretty powerful examiner workstation applications for fingerprint and face. Um, Those were developed with a ton of input from examiners, lots of new features in there, uh, taking advantage in, in some cases of new guidelines for how examiners should conduct their work. So um, those are just a, a few of the features that I think um, people are, are gravitating towards. But mm-hmm. yeah, so we're, we're excited about it. Cool. And one of the interesting concepts I've heard around the Aware ABIS is this concept of open ABIS, which uh, you touched a little bit on the interoperability of it. But uh, I wonder if you could expand on that concept. What does Aware mean when, when they say it's an open ABIS? Sure. So So it really was built from the ground up for enabling some of these really powerful features that I mentioned before. Think of it as like a really high high performance router of biometric data that allows you to program how you want the data to be handled, how you want it uh, to exchange data with external systems. Um, it's also got a lot of onboard data processing capability like data formatting and data transcoding, an archive feature. So an awful lot of really powerful features that come with the BioSP part of it. But essentially, it's really about making sure that it can be, uh, it's essentially enabling a modular and open architecture where the system is based on these individual components as opposed to a, a monolithic system. That means it's offering a, a ton of really powerful web services that not only are, are providing a lot of cool functionality, but making it easy to, to integrate with other systems. Uh, lots of configurable workflows, 
and just the ability to communicate with other systems in a way that's it's pretty sophisticated. You know, it's it's flexible, it's extensible, it's compatible with third-party algorithms, as I mentioned, and importantly, it's 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 providing um, full access to to data, uh, meaning that you know, for example, the full archive of images is, is made available, not just templates, for example, uh, to ensure the openness and the, the, the extensibility of the platform. Why is it important to have all of those images accessible? Well, you really want to be able to, you want to have the freedom to update or upgrade your algorithm, say to a new version from another, from another vendor or add an additional. You might want to fuse multiple algorithms. You might want to replace an algorithm. And the, the only way you can do that is if you have the ability to regenerate your templates for all of your data. So if you've had an ABIS for, say, seven years and you've spent seven years collecting biometrics from people, if you store them as images, I can use those images to recreate all these new templates and use them with my new algorithms. But if they're all stored as templates, you're t really tied. You've tied those templates to that um, existing algorithm and it, it locks you into that algorithm. Pretty elegant solution. This episode of the ID Talk podcast is part of Government Biometrics Month, sponsored by AWARE. A lot of our conversation this episode centers around the concept of Open ABIS, an idea being pioneered by AWARE ABIS. Aware ABIS is an automated biometric identification system used for large-scale biometric identification and deduplication, with support for fingerprint, face, and iris modalities. Its highly modular architecture allows it to be configured and optimized for either civil or criminal applications. Aware ABIS leverages BioSP to achieve unsurpassed configurability and ease of integration. It has the flexibility to utilize Aware's high-performance, NIST-tested, Nexa face fingerprint and iris matching algorithms, as well as top-tier fingerprint algorithms from third-party providers. Together, these features make Aware ABIS ideal for extreme configurability and for prevention of vendor lock-in. To learn more or to arrange a demo, visit aware.com biometrics aware abis. And now back to the podcast. So, uh, in the summer, AWARE exhibited at ID for Africa, which was held in uh, Johannesburg this year. And we were reporting live from the show. It was amazing how big a role biometrics are playing. Uh, what were some of the major regional biometrics trends you observed at the ID for Africa show? Yeah, that ID for Africa is always a, a fantastic event. We always see lots of strong interest and enthusiasm about biometrics there. There's a lot of great applications and, and just a lot of demand for what biometrics can do. Uh, in some ways, I think of it as being analogous to mobile telephony uh, in emerging markets where there's an opportunity to, to leapfrog traditional approaches to identity, not unlike mobile telephony sort of leapfrogged uh, landlines in those spaces where there just wasn't any infrastructure. So that's that's exciting. Uh, this technology is, is really enabling lots of, of cool stuff, such as, well, if you just think about mobile mobile authentication and what it can do for, for mobile banking in, in underserved regions, I think that's just one, one of many examples uh, that are interesting. So I think um, 
citizen IDs is really is certainly driving a lot of the date uh, the the demand uh, certainly for a product like Aware Abus. And what you see here are systems that are integrating different applications, not only on the civil side, but on the criminal side. So we are seeing areas where there's biometric platform being used for lots of different purposes, law enforcement, immigration, citizen ID. They tend to be multimodal. They tend to have mobile capabilities. And we Another interesting thing that we hear about is vendor lock-in. So that was an interesting topic at uh, ID for Africa this year. Um, proposed solutions to that issue being uh, discussed, uh, such as technical standards. So yeah, that was another topic that was that was kind of interesting and certainly relevant to the uh, ABIS realm. And what specifically is vendor lock-in, and how does it occur? Vendor lock-in is a term that folks are using to describe this phenomena of, uh, and I think it's, you know, it tends to be discussed around the topic of APHIS and ABIS, these biometric search platforms, but I imagine it applies to other, other technologies. It's essentially around this concept of a vendor selling proprietary technology that makes it really difficult for the customer to remove or update or, or basically evolve down the road. So uh, in the case of a, an ABIS, I think, you know, there are there are technical reasons why vendor lock-in might happen. Uh, and a big one would, would potentially be these proprietary data structures, such as the proprietary biometric templates that we talked about a little bit before. You know, mm -hmm. it's essentially that that issue, you know, where you have this these complex data structures and to sort of update a system or to move to a different vendor would cause a you know require a massive uh, change or basically what we used to call in the old days of uh, telecom a forklift upgrade to completely replace a system but more generally speaking you know if you've just got an opaque system design or what I call a monolithic architecture with private interfaces, for example, between components or between the client and the server. So there's another example. So if, if the client and the server components of a solution both need to be provided by the same vendor, that's certainly uh, evidence that there may be some kind of lock-in going on. You know, and you can imagine why. It, it just it's you're basically saying, well, oh, you can't update your client application without updating your server, or vice versa. Right. So, you know, one thing we we find though, and the, the engineers here will tell you that, you know, the communication interface. If you think about an interface between two systems, and you know how to make that open, the communication between two systems is, is, is tends to be simpler relatively than that structure of the data being exchanged. So for example, you know, for two systems to talk to one another and say, hey, give me this file, and that system says, okay, here's the here is that file. Mm -hmm. That that type of communication is relatively simple to program. But that data that just got handed over that might have two or three hundred different data elements in it, that's where standards like NIST, uh, ITL are really, really important. And and so we find that customers who are using the NIST standard as as a data interchange format for the data that they're being that they're exchanging goes a very long way in ensuring that these systems can communicate with one another. You can establish a modular architecture that can be sort of 
updated and integrated with other systems. I, you know, I guess there are also, you know, business issues that come into play. You know, you, you, you could say that lock-in doesn't probably doesn't happen by accident. I mean, it's not like, oh my gosh, our system is, is proprietary. Maybe that happens, but I think <laughs> in some cases um, there are issues that you might call lapses in, in ethics where, you know, there's incentives for salespeople to sell a system that they can uh, continue to derive revenue from into the future. And so that that's another part of uh, vendor lock-in that I think you can't just pretend doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's definitely right. there. Yeah. I mean, it does, it does make sense from that perspective, why you would go that proprietary route as a vendor. Uh, but the ethical issues are, are very, very apparent. But speaking specifically, why is this kind of thing bad for governments and also the biometrics industry? And uh, of course, who it really affects is who are the citizens? Yeah, I, I think it's um, probably a bad thing when the government or the customer isn't fully aware of the ramifications of the design of their system. You know, so to use it an analogy between Apple and Android, for example, Apple tends to be known as more of a proprietary device and people love it and, and they're cool with that. And that's how Apple sells their products. Android tends to sell much more, you know, more open kind of platform and people understand that the problem comes when the customer isn't really fully apprised of of the ramifications of the the solution design so you know when you have vendor lock-in or proprietary system it will tend to reduce competition for future upgrades system replacement at some point uh, it will tend to cause higher maintenance and support costs because you're really you're really relying on that single vendor for just about everything. Generally speaking, there's just higher risks with a proprietary system, vulnerability to downtime, and potentially more difficult for uh, that customer to extend their system and to scale it. It's really fascinating when you talk about the system replacement and the high maintenance and support costs, just because we can see that happening sort of in not such a, an ethically questionable way, just in terms of replacing access control systems in the enterprise we run up to that all, run into that all the time is having to replace a legacy system is just such a huge obstacle that a lot of people are just left vulnerable and then they don't upgrade when they when they can't do it easily you know yeah it's true it's it's not a concept that is unique to the biometrics realm that's that's mm -hmm. for sure i think with with biometric systems doing search it just tends to be sort of explicit with this, again, this kind of biometric template concept where, oh my gosh, you 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 didn't keep, it's so obvious that you should be keeping the images that if you don't, it would seem to appear that that was, you know, a, potentially an issue of ethical misconduct because it's right. something that's so obvious to a biometric specialist that should be done. You should save your images. When we're talking about this, what steps can be taken to prevent it? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but yeah. So, so that was interesting. At um, you know, at ID for Africa, there were some proposals around technical standards. You know, I I personally think you know the first thing that you can do is is adhere to standards such as NIST or some some version of the NIST data interchange format, which is used globally 
for exactly this purpose, and it's been a very successful uh, standard for decades. And more generally, as we we did kind of speak about a little bit, just ensure that the system is designed with modern, open, you know, web services-based architecture uh, that ensures modularity of the system. Ensure to the to the degree possible some level of abstraction between client and server components, uh, and even the client and the hardware. You know, so where you might have a peripheral device that ideally that device should be independent of any software. So that's, you know, it's something that our business has been involved with for, for again, for decades since we were founded was this idea of making sure that various components of a system are working somewhat independently to the degree possible. You know, I think it does not necessarily need mean that you require a standardized communication interface, standardized APIs that tell you exactly what calls you need to, to communicate between different uh, system components uh, because as I had said before those just those are not necessarily as as critical or time-consuming to kind of adapt to a new system it's if you have an interface there that that's important but standardizing the structure of the data that you're exchanging is is really important and then as we've said a couple times already absolutely preserve an archive of raw, a raw biometric data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, the reason for not necessarily over standardizing interfaces is because you can potentially lose, you know, functionality and, and some special features that a particular product might have. You know, for example, we have this platform. It's got a lot of, a lot of capabilities. If, if um, we're told we have to adhere to this very strict and kind of narrow API that's kind of generalized to the whole market, then the customer is potentially going to lose a lot of capability um, mm-hmm. that he would otherwise have. So it's something definitely has to be kind of looked at closely. Yeah, there seems to be sort of a balance you have to find between both ends of that spectrum because they both end up kind of killing the competitive nature that makes for a, a healthy biometrics industry. Absolutely. Uh, that's Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, if I was listening to this, I'd be wondering, is there a threat of vendor lock-in in North America when it comes to government biometrics? I don't hear about that as much. I think it tends to be not so much a technical issue here as much as a, maybe a procurement issue, perhaps. You know, I, the U.S. went through a process like this back in the early 2000s, post 9-11, when this issue came up around interoperability between IDENT and IAFIS, which are the two, which were at the time two large AFIS, one IAFIS being run by FBI, IDENT being run by the immigration department. And there was this issue that they didn't really communicate. And I think what what we saw in, in that discussion was that, you know, and clearly these are two platforms with very different requirements, right? So IAFIS, the FBI, the interoperability was inherently built into that system because it was designed to enable data interchange between state and local uh, law enforcement agencies. So from the ground up, that whole system was designed for that kind of use case. IDENT was different. It was it was used for for border applications. You know, sharing of data wasn't as as important, and what, I think that platform was more of a kind of proprietary design, and so it became more important when it came apparent that those systems really should be able to talk 
between each other at a very high, you know, and, and be able to exchange data. So long story short, I just think, I think we've gotten past most of those uh, issues. Um, but, and I think now other parts of the world, we're seeing progress on that front as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly a relief. An open biometric workflow and integration platform, Aware's BioSP is a modular platform used to enable a biometric system with advanced biometric data processing and management functionality in a web services architecture. It provides workflow, data management and formatting, and other important utilities for large-scale biometric systems. BioSP is well-suited for applications that require the collection of biometrics throughout a distributed network and subsequent aggregation, analysis, processing, distribution, matching, and sharing of data with other system components. It's modular, programmable, scalable, and secure, capable of managing all aspects of transaction workflow, including messaging, submissions, responses, and logging. Learn more about BioSP and the many biometric solutions it enables by visiting aware.com. Now back to the podcast. All right, so we're recording this in September 2019, looking at the end of the decade here. What's next for Aware? Well, certainly within the in the government space, uh, you know, it continues to be a really important part of our business. I have to think that uh, government will continue to be, for the foreseeable future, the largest consumer of biometric technology, although we, we are certainly seeing lots of exciting things happening in other areas like financial services and others. But within the government, you know, we are just going to keep doing what we've been doing for a, for a while. We continue to see strong demand for BioSP and the capabilities that that platform has. I think I can say it's the, the market-leading platform of its kind in the market. So so that team is, is extremely busy with, with deployments of that product. We're also seeing, you know, we've had you know, dozens of deployments over the years, and there's always requirements coming in for, for tech refreshes and updates with new capabilities. Uh, we're excited about the new ABIS, and we're, we're getting a lot of interest in that. We, we do expect that we'll have some deployments of that uh, that we'll be able to talk about in the future. So that's exciting. You know, we, we're new entrants in this arena, and there are certainly other providers of, of ABIS technology. But we also have lots of customers and references where, you know, it just makes a lot of sense for Aware to, to uh, enable them with that kind of capability. And we know that there is demand for this uh, open concept ABIS, something that is not a monolithic proprietary uh, system. I think another really interesting area uh, in the government, in the U.S. in particular, is the PIV and CAC uh, refresh. How you know can can mobile biometrics potentially play a role there? I think is something we're going to continue to hear more about. So lots of interesting things going on. Um, you know, I think the government market tends to be somewhat cyclical. But, you know, it's always really busy for us. So we're enthusiastic about the future. How can any listeners get in touch with you and learn more about AWARE? Well, I, I guess the, the best way is to just go to our website, aware.com, and, and follow the link for contact and, and write me a note. And I'm happy to reply. Excellent. Well, I hope everybody goes and does that. Um, David, thanks again for joining me today on the podcast. And... Hope to speak to you again soon. Well, it was certainly a pleasure, Peter, and I hope to be uh, have the opportunity to do it again sometime. Excellent. And so concludes this latest episode of the ID Talk podcast. Thanks again to David Benini and Aware. 
Learn more about AWARE's government solutions by heading to aware.com. For those of you in Tampa this week for FedID 2019, visit the AWARE booth number 307 and learn more about BioSP, the company's ABIS, and all of its different biometric solutions, including the Nomi Mobile Biometric Platform. For more insight into the world of government biometrics, visit findbiometrics.com throughout September and read our latest featured articles for Government Biometrics Month. Special thanks to Legumrad for a podcast theme music. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for joining me on the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.